I'd like to welcome everyone back to the Duck Pond Wall, a show here on 90.7 FM Emory, 90.5 FM Wise, where we get to sit down with a cool Emory and Henry person and catch up on some news, maybe about career, maybe about a sideline. And we're going to do a little bit both with our guest today, Bill Williams, class of 1969. How you doing? Doing great. Well, good. Tell everybody where you're sitting right now. I'm sitting in the dining room in our home in Williamsburg, Virginia. All right. And is it hot there today? Because it's delightful here today. No, it was was pretty nice this morning. I was out for a while this morning. It's really nice. Thank goodness. Out of curiosity, were you doing anything, oh, I don't know, interesting while you were out there today? Well, yes, I was. I was doing, I was, I go to a local nature trail here and, um, uh, record birds for the you know, roughly two hours that I'm out there. And then anything else that I happen to come across. But mostly it's there for the birds. All right. Well, that's a perfect way to lead in because, as you know, the reason I want to talk to you today is because you have just concluded a term as president of the Virginia Society of Ornithology. Congratulations on A, getting it and, and B, finishing it. Right. Yes. But also, it's a wonderful organization, and we want to spend a minute talking about it because it's getting ready to have, which, what anniversary is coming up? In uh, 2029, we will have our 100th anniversary. See, that's amazing, and I want, this is amazing. So we want more people to know about what the VSO really does in the world. But let's, can we spend just a hot minute talking about you? Because you've had a very cool career, and... And I want people to kind of know what your street cred is, that you're not just, you know, you're not just a bird nerd. You really are. You're the real deal. Could you tell everybody a little bit about your background and what you spent your career doing? Well, after I left Emory Emory and Henry, I uh, went to graduate school to College of William and Mary, got a master's degree in biology using, uh, fortunately, was able to study uh, a bird, breeding bird species over on the Virginia Barrier Islands called a glossy ibis. While I was completing my master's thesis, I got a job working for the Williamsburg James City County Schools and taught biology, life science, uh, uh, some earth science, and then became an administrator and retired in 2002 after 31 years there. I was in charge of math and science when I graduated. Did a lot of adjunct work for the College of William and Mary. Uh, taught uh, senior learning institutes called the was called the Christopher Wren Society. It's now called the Osher Institute. Taught that for about twenty years, and then also did uh, road scholar programs. Used to be called. Um, what was Elder Hostel, but it's now called Road Scholar, taught those for about 10 years here along the coast. And I've been doing bird research in one form or fashion now since uh, the early 1970s and continue to do so. You know, it's I'm especially sort of intrigued by what you just said because I've I've done some of those Road Scholar things online and, and mm-hmm. I know about Osher and because I've been doing some research, we're ramping up our lifelong learning programs here at the college. And, you know, a lot of those people seem sort of un, untouchable or unattainable or like, you know, fake people out there in the universe. But here you are, one of those people that, that do those programs. That's really kind of cool. 
Yeah, you just meet some of the most fascinating people ever, especially with the Rhodes Scholar program. I can remember people. Uh, one of the first things you do at the start of the Rhodes Scholar program is you introduce yourself and you're supposed to talk about how many Rhodes Scholar programs you've been involved in. And uh, it was not uncommon for people to have decades worth of experiences, sometimes having participated in oh, as many as 50 or 60 different Rhodes Scholar programs all over the world. Wow. Just incredible people. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I've met some of those folks. Emory and Henry used to host Elder Hostel back when it had that name. And, yeah. And, and I've, I've spoken to some groups since then. And, you know, not in a big way, just mm. like 10 people at the 4-H Center. It's a little bit different scale. But the fun thing is that, that you're right. Those are such fun people to know because they never stop asking questions. They never right. stop being interested in things. Absolutely. Well, I'm convinced that's the secret sauce for a happy life because because it does sort of yeah. keep things interesting. You, This was not your first time to be president of the VSO, was it? No, I was president back in 1988-89, I believe it was, and have been on many committees and done quite a few other things. I was editor of one of the journals for oh, about uh, six or eight years and then wrote one of the, the regional reports for that journal for 14 to 15 years, uh, the Coastal Region Report yeah. uh, for that. Well, let's can we dive in a little bit to that then? Tell us, I mean, exactly what is the Virginia Society of Ornithology? Because I got to say, it sounds like tea and crumpets and a raven. <laughs> well, as, as we noted, it was started in 1929. A gentleman at uh, Lynchburg College, Ruskin, Ruskin Freer, started the organization, and he realized that there were people in the state of Virginia, even in the 20s, who were showing an interest in birds. And he decided he that to put the word out, can you, can you imagine doing this all by hand, pretty much by phone, inviting people to come to a meeting in Lynchburg in December of 1929? And 15 people showed up at that meeting, if I recall correctly. And their goal at that point was to start reaching out to people to get them, people who were interested in birds and bird conservation. And that was the nexus of the uh, how the organization started. And we now have, I believe it's 15, 14 or 15 chapters, including some Audubon societies. Um, we have membership that is uh, over a thousand people, including close to a hundred life members. Wow. Some of those are honorary. Some of those are paid people who have paid the life membership. Um, so it's a community of people who are genuinely interested in birds, identification of birds, but also uh, bird conservation and more importantly, uh, bird education. Yeah, and I, I I like that it's a conservation organization because it's it's one thing just to get excited about birds as some of us do, but you all really do a lot of work to help preserve them and to to give to give them a better future mm -hmm. as far in the in the ecosystem. Uh, yeah. Talk a little bit about what some of the projects are. Well, we may as well start with the big one. What's the biggest project that the VSO is working on right now? And then we'll talk about some of the other things. The 
the main one that we're working on at this point is the field work was done for this project. It's called the Virginia Breeding Bird Atlas. It was started in 2016 in collaboration with the Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources and the Conservation Management Institute at Virginia Tech. And essentially what happened there was that the for five years, 2016 through 2021, teams of people, scores of people, scoured the entire state of Virginia, every place that they could have access to and get to, to document the birds that breed in the state of Virginia. And there's a whole uh, set of protocols that are were put in place to, to, um, to make sure that the data was solid. The data is finally is in the final stages of being uh, reviewed and, and cleaned, if you will. And the next phase in this is to get that data published. And that's what we're working on now. We have a goal of having the information published online in 2025. And you can imagine that's gonna that's a it's a monetary stake, and we are in in the at the midpoint of a three hundred thousand dollar capital campaign to make sure that that publication uh, sees life in twenty twenty five. We just hired a uh, an editor for the journal, um, and uh, she's just come on board in the last couple of days. If I'm oh, no, in the last month. Awesome. So we're, we're, we're all waiting, waiting to meet her. Well, and am I right that this is a publication, but it's going to be available online? Is that right? As a website? That's it. Online only. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Th that's, that's different probably from the last time you did this, right? It is. And um, the last time it was done, it was not done to the, to the degree that this one was done. And there is a publication for that but it's not the kind of thing that is uh, a book that you can just pick up <laughs> and open, turn the pages based on uh, your investigation of one species versus another. Um, it's more of a data book. This, this new one that's going to come out is going to be very comprehensive uh, so that the data will be put in context. Uh, you can look at timing of bird species data, uh, when they start breeding, uh, how many broods they have during the year, if they have more than one. Where in the state of Virginia can you find species X or Y or Z? There are places in the state, for instance, where they're going to be in only a few places where others say like a cardinal will be, uh, data will show up there from all over the state. But then there are others, then, especially in southwest Virginia, the mountains and valleys province where there's going to be species that are very restricted in, in where they're found breeding. Tell me, who who predominantly uses um, information like this? Well, the, the Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources sees this as being a, a very valuable to, tool for land use planners, um, particularly people who fall into the general category of just conservation or need conservation information will have as up-to-date a catalog of breeding bird information as we can possibly give them. And the agencies, a number of state agencies, Department of Wildlife Resources, uh, Natural Heritage, 
are always being asked for information when they're filing permits, for instance, where what kinds of species might be on a property that has X, num, X Y, or Z potential for development or land use, um, agricultural, and that's the kind of people that we want to have the most impact uh, for. So it, the data is going to be pretty doggone solid. Uh, it's going to be, it's being tested and, and uh, put in a, in a, a presentation format that's easy to understand and also answers questions. Well, all right, I'm going to ask a couple of follow-up questions to that. So, for instance, mm. what, why is it more important, for instance, if you see a bird, let's talk about your cardinal. Say you see a cardinal in a particular area. Why is it more interesting or more important to know that it also breeds there? Well, first of all, for the cardinal, of course, it's, a, it's our Virginia state bird, so there's some significance there. If it's a bird that's a neotropical migrant, that is one that breeds in North America and goes to Central or South America, for instance, um, those are under uh, pr uh, protection. Uh, there's the, under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. And the goal here would be to document what's going on with those breeding birds that are gonna be traveling internationally and then compare those, say, breeding bird data that we have here in Virginia with data that of, of overwintering populations where they go. Uh, Cerulean warbler is a good example, which goes down to Columbia, a large um, number of them, even as far as we can determine from Virginia, we'd have to get some direct evidence proof for that, but pretty certainly. So if, if they're, if they're, information about them in the state of Virginia says one thing that they're increasing or decreasing and that can be backed up with wintering bird studies then that gives us some pretty good benchmarks about managing them on either end of that if not in between so uh, every species of birds has its own story and each of those stories then play into a larger uh, set of stories about the landscape that they uh, exist in. And I and I guess I, I'm going to just ask the obvious question. So just <laughs> because you see a bird, let's say in Virginia or in Southwest Virginia, that doesn't mean it reproduces here. No, that's true. The, the timing of the year is going to be very, very important. Right now we're finishing and we're just on the tail end of the, the breeding season, uh, at least uh, temperate, temperately, uh, temperate migrants as well as the neotropical migrants are pretty much. Uh, I had a great experience this morning. I've been watching a prothonotary warbler uh, pair feeding their young for the last uh, week or 10 days. And this is pretty late in the season for that species, for, for many of them. But um, as I was standing there watching the female come in and out today, I looked up uh, after her last visit, and there was a young one sitting in the hole. This is one of the only warblers that nests in a hole in a tree. Yeah. And she, the little one was sitting at the edge of the hole, and a gentleman came riding by me 
on a bicycle right next to where this little bird was. And I looked at, after he passed, I looked in and the little bird was gone. Oh my gosh. And what happened was it, it fledged. In that, in, in that, that split instant, second. In that instant that he flew, that he rode by on his bicycle it was enough to prompt that little rascal to jump out of the nest. <laughs> and, and, and then I saw it with mom. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm glad you were there. I mean, I'm glad he had an audience. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like the old saying, if a bird fledges in the forest and there's not a cute little ornithologist <laughs> there to see it, does it really happen? I don't does know. It really I want to remind everybody we're speaking today with Bill Williams, who is an ornithologist himself and also the immediate past president of the Virginia Society of Ornithology. And we're geeking out a little bit about birds, but we're also talking about the Virginia Society of Ornithology, so people know a, a little bit more about that. And I'm going to ask one more bird breeding atlas question before I move <laughs> on, just so people know. So you have lucked out and seen this little baby, Prothonotary Warbler. <laughs> but are there other ways to know if you don't just happen to be there at this crazy perfect time? What are some of the other ways that you know that birds are, in fact, breeding? This is the fun part about doing the atlas. Um, often, of course, a lot of the bird activity takes place early in the morning, but during the breeding season, and it's going to be going on all day. Fascinating part of that was to be in the woods or be on a trail. And if you see something that you suspect is breeding in the area, you just stop and watch and watch their behavior. And that in itself becomes all-consuming because you're, you're praying that you can see the bird carrying a bug or carrying a fecal sac or actually going to a nest or feeding a young one that's sitting on a branch or something like that. And so you, you've gotten beyond the idea of just going out to identify the birds. That's taken for granted. Uh, and then you sit and watch. And I can't tell you how engaging that that is. I, anybody who got involved, really seriously got involved in the Atlas, will tell you that over and over again. Uh, searching for a bird, then searching for any evidence that you can get that it's breeding. Um, it was just, it, it, was, it was so engaging, just tremendous opportunity to do that. You feel honored, actually, when you when you get to witness one of these events. I get, no, <laughs> I totally get that. I was out with, with uh, Dr. Hop one day, and we watched, yeah. we watched one tree limb, one little bird on one tree limb for 30 minutes, and my life was changed. What are some of the other projects that VSO funds or sponsors so that people can know a little bit more about what the organization does? One that we've got uh, that's being proven to be very successful is called an American kestrel nest box program. An American kestrel is a little falcon, so it's a bird of prey. It will eat small rodents, but it loves to eat insects, particularly grasshoppers and katydids and things like that. And in the Shenandoah Valley, primarily a group of volunteers from VSO have been going to farms and asking the farm owner, the landowner, if they would be willing to host a nest box. And that means climbing up what is effectively a telephone pole, putting up a box, a wooden box on the, on the pole or a barn, and hoping that the kestrels will occupy those. American kestrels populations have declined pretty dramatically across the, the continent. And this is one way people in Virginia and elsewhere are doing their job to help reestablish these. And they're, they're being very successful. The kestrels are using the boxes. They're pretty successful reproductively. And then they're coming back to the same 
uh, locations in subsequent years. And that is, is very, very gratifying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You guys also do a lot of field trips, right? We do. <clears throat> there are field trips to the Outer Banks. Virginia folks love going down to the Outer Banks in February. Uh, we have a very pop- popular field trip to the Eastern Shore uh, at, up at Chincoteague in uh, September. And we're going to do some field events in Southwest Virginia. I believe it's next spring. June, June of 24. I'm not mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to go to Saltville. People will probably go over to Mount Rogers and White Top. And um, yeah. Do, what, what, what does one need to do to participate in those things? Is it it's for people who are members mm-hmm. of the VSO? You can join the field trip it's four members of VSO, but we those people who want to participate in the field trip, um, you can you can join the organization. It's very inexpensive to do so, um, and um, that way you get the most recent information about the field trip and, of course, what's going on in the organization. But the field trip leader, once uh, you've signed up for the trip, keeps in touch with you about. In, say, the February trip, we've had some that have been snowed or weathered out, mm. for instance, mm-hmm. uh, down in the Outer Banks. So, and, and the, the the great part about this is it's the birders just love to ne- um, network with each other. It becomes quite a social gathering. There's a Zoom meeting about three or four days prior to the, uh, to the field trip where uh, somebody will talk to the group about what they are likely to see about the conditions, the current conditions uh, that are there, if it's going to be cold or it's going to potentially be wet, that kind of thing, so that they're prepared. It's usually done in a place where there's um, a a good amount of hotel activity and places to eat, Uh, (laughs) especially, (laughs) especially breakfast. That's a tough thing because we get, Many times a eastern shore trip, for instance, will attract, in many many cases, at least a hundred people. And trying to find lodging for that many people, yeah. as well as where can we go to eat before we go out on our morning field trip, yeah, uh, becomes a challenge. Oh, I'm sure. Bill, yeah. Bill, how did how did you get started as a birder? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that because uh, it's got some memory roots, which I'll get to, but. My, my mom grew up on a farm in Orange County, and so she talked to us uh, as we were growing up about her bird adventures just on the farm uh, there. And I did the usual thing in scouts, earning arrow points with birds and merit badges, those uh, uh, kinds of awards, if you will. But when I um, got to Emory and Henry, I was interested in salamanders and critters like that. And, and a, a guy living across the hall from me my uh, um, sophomore year turned out to become a fraternity brother of mine, was interested in birds. His name was Dick Gage. And um, Dick would say, well, I'm going to go out birding today. If you want to join me, come on and, and go. And I didn't, I was completely naive about birds. I didn't have a clue what that was all about. I met uh, thank goodness, uh, Dr. Bob Jervis, who was our biology professor. Bob would um, come around, let to put the word out on uh, in, during biology classes and say, if anybody wants to go birding, 
if you're standing out on the corner, say over near Hillman, and if you're out there at 6 a.m., come on, get in the van. <laughs> and he would take us out to little coves and hollows and things around campus. And he said, you know, I've, I'd like to I try to see 250 different kinds of birds every year. And I went, holy mackerel, there are that many kinds of birds. <laughs> and this is really cool. I'd like to see how many of them I could find. And then that sent me out all around camp, <laughs> excuse me, around campus, uh, hearing things, tracking them down and going, oh, so that's what that bird sounds like. <laughs> I'm seeing birds for the first time. Uh, I told Monica that I had, I saw my uh, first yellow warbler, for instance, at the duck pond and saw my first American red start in what was a creek bed that was back behind what's all the athletic complex now. And um, just thought this is the greatest thing in the world uh, to track something down, pull out a little book and go, wow, that's what this guy is. Or saying, I need, I want to see one of these and doing reading as, as much as you could to say, well, I've got to go to this kind of place in order to find it. And that's what happened. And fortunately got into graduate school and had some uh, grad student, uh, fellow grad students who became, some of them became <clears throat> world famous for the work that they did in ornithology. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And then my major professor was Dr. Mitchell, B-Y-R-D. And Mitchell was great about taking those of us who were interested in birding and birds in general, just taking us out in the field. And it's been, uh, it's been nonstop ever since then. I mean, come on, you got a professor whose name was Bird. Don't you think it right. was kind of meant to be? <laughs> <laughs> I love your story about seeing your first yellow warbler. One of the things that I enjoy about birders is they can tell you exactly where they were standing when they saw certain <laughs> things. Who knows what they had for breakfast that morning, but I know where I was standing when I saw that yellow warbler, and that makes me, that makes me happy. You know, if folks want to learn more about the Virginia Society of Ornithology, where can they go to learn a little bit more and maybe get involved? Well, they can, of course, Google Virginia Society of Ornithology and you'll come up with a website. There is a website, very interactive website, virginiabirds.org, and that will give them pretty much everything they need to know, including upcoming field trips and how to join um, current activities. All right. Well, it sounds great. Bill Williams, Emory Henry class of 1969, and the former president of the Virginia Society of Ornithology. Thanks for being our guest today on the Duck Pond Wall. Thank you, Monica. I appreciate you. And please stay tuned to WEHC and WISE-FM. There's some wonderful programming coming up that you're not going to want to miss because after all, this is the voice of Southwest Virginia.